Welcome. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces podcast. My very special guest today is Blue Zones founder and National Geographic fellow, Dan Beitner. Welcome, Dan, and thanks for your time today. Let's jump right in, and can you tell me more about the Blue Zones? So about 15 years ago, with with funding from the National Institutes on Aging and on assignment for National Geographic, I set out to, in a sense, reverse engineer longevity by finding the statistically longest-lived spots around the world. And these are populations. And by the way, they're not genetically special, except for maybe one of them, but, but they're heterogeneous populations who are essentially – living to the capacity of the human machine, which is about mid-90s, and they're avoiding the diseases that foreshorten our lives and are costing our country north of three and a half trillion a year. So um, so these are places where people aren't getting diabetes, uh, heart disease, cancer, or dementia at rates anywhere near we, that we're suffering here in the United States. So I started out to, I I had a team of advisors that helped me identify the common denominators or the correlates in all five places. The original blue zone areas, by the way, are Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Icaria, Greece, and and, uh, the Adventist in Loma Linda, California. So what do they all have in common? Well, they eat mostly a high-carb, plant-based diet. Um, complex carbs, the four pillars of every longevity diet in the world is grains, whole grains, greens, beans, and nuts. They have a sense of purpose. Uh, they can articulate it. There's vocabulary for it. They tend to be religious. They tend to put family first. They, um, uh, they have ways to keep – they tend to eat all their calories in an eight-hour window – um, but when it comes to physical activity, interestingly, they don't do any of the things we do to live a long time. None of them are running marathons or pumping iron or or at elliptical or doing fun runs at work. Uh, they just live in environments that are nudging them into movement every 20 minutes or so. So every time they go to work or to school, kids go to school or to a friend's house and occasions a walk, they have gardens out back. They, uh, they, their, their houses aren't riddled with mechanical conveniences that engineer movement out of their daily life. They're, you know, grinding corn by hand or kneading bread or, you know, doing yard work with, with hand tools. So the big insight here is that uh, healthy longevity is not something that people who live a long time pursue. It ensues. It's the result of the right environment. So, you know, when Unilever came along, I never do this sort of thing. Um, but when they came along with this um, proposal that they would help uh, uh, my company's expertise right now, you know, I, I, we're, we have these Blue Zone projects in in 26 cities right now. We're about to add four more. Are they, Dan, they all U.S. cities? So the biggest ones are Naples, Florida. Uh, the beach cities of Los Angeles, Fort Worth, Texas, 
the whole island of Maui. Wow. Um, uh, the, most of the big island in Hawaii, um, Elbert Lee, Minnesota. We've done the whole state of Iowa, 15 cities in Iowa. And the approach, the approach here, we get hired by the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield plans or the hospital system. And uh, we deploy teams of up to 35 people for five years at a time that really help uh, in both the public and private sector reshape the community so people are mindlessly nudged into moving more, eating less, eating more plant-based, socializing, sort of socializing more and with the right kind of people and knowing their purpose, which is to say um, we put them through purpose workshops and then we help them to volunteer. But most of our most effective work is done at the policy level. And I have a, I, I would argue the best team in, a, in America that helps cities rethink their budgets. We don't ask them to spend a lot more money, but every road in America could be built for an automobile or it could be built for a human. And when you build roads for human beings, i.e. put sidewalks in, put bike lanes in, have a public transportation, uh, if you do that uh, citywide, you can raise the physical activity level of the whole city by up to 30%. And that's not trying to buy them all gym memberships or some fancy corporate wellness program. It is just making it easier to get out from behind the wheel and on your feet. And it's that mindless physical activity that happens when your kids are actually walking to school and you're able to walk to the grocery store without fear of getting hit by a car racing by or you're not breathing in fumes that we know cause asthma. Um, so Unilever, when they came to me with, with this uh, uh, program, this made-to-move program, they are really putting their money where their mouth is in uh, funding a, a number of cities uh, to help us help them uh, simply take existing budgets and create streets made for humans that nudge them to move. And, um, you know, Degree uncovered that about 70, almost three quarters of Americans acknowledge they don't, they don't want, they don't move enough. You know, we, we, we live in a society of sedentary people and that is what's driving this huge healthcare crisis we're having in this country. Uh, about 85% of all chronic disease is avoidable and it's avoidable with more movement and eating the right food. And the targets that we aim at for the most part at trying to achieve more movement and better eating are the wrong targets. And we believe that, um, empowering people by shaping their environment for better movement is um, uh, getting on the right track. And I know this to be true because I spent 15 years among the people who've achieved the outcomes we want when it comes to health. And I can tell you, they live in walkable communities. Oh, I, I believe you. Believe you. I'm actually on our city's, uh, it's called the Active Living Committee, and we're supposed to uh, provide recommendations to the city and the mayor directly. What city are you in Omaha? Yeah, Omaha, yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, uh, in our mayor's progressive, the, the biggest pushback we get is, um, you know, it takes time to redo a street. So a street that was built 30 years ago without sidewalks and there's not much space, 
Uh, and then in the budget, how, how long is it going to take to rebuild all these streets that were never built in the first place? Uh, some a hundred plus years ago that there's just not enough space. So I always go back to New York city as a good example. I mean, that city was built a long time ago and people just make a priority that they make a bike lane and they don't care if, if there's less cars that can go down the street, there's less cars. And then that's a disincentive for them to drive. So they'll just they'll have to find alternative transportation, and then you're setting up an environment to use more active uh, transportation. On average, streets are redone every seven years. So when when a city adopts something like a complete streets or active living uh, policy bundle, all it does is every every year in Omaha there are new streets being redone, and those streets, uh, depending on how you paint them how you refurbish them, how you set the speed limits. These are all very malleable things and have a huge influence on how many people walk and or drive. And the first step in making Omaha a more walkable place or bikeable place or where people aren't driving everywhere is to get the right policies in place. And then our approach helps find a mar- what we call a marquee project. So if we came into Omaha – we would work with the city planners and engineers, and we'd say, what is your next project? What is on the books for next year? And then I'd bring my experts, and we'd, we, we wouldn't tell them what to do, but we would show them. Here, we'd do a photomorph. We'd say, here's what you could do within your budget, uh, evidence-based uh uh, design do overnight. It's something you do with a five to 10 year time horizon, but we've done it in enough cities that, you know, I take Muscatine, Iowa. So this was a complete, everybody was driving out to the Walmart at the interstate and downtown died. And we helped give them a new walkable design. And to date it's attracted over $350 million in grants and economic uh, investments from the outside and that city's been completely redone. And it's not because they did everything overnight. It's because they started with a few high-profile projects, and then they put a plan in place that they were able to show uh, the Department of Transportation, and they were able to show investors and developers, and they came in. Yeah, we, we In some micro areas where there's been a partnership with public and private, they've developed a kind of a – and we do have the complete street – uh, as they do some streets, they're doing a complete street. We probably only have a couple of those so far, and they're not like major streets right at this point. So they're just starting to get around it. But where we have uh, redevelopment and they mix retail with parks, with residential, and then it's so walkable, work work is close by, um, everything's kind of convenient, and it all kind of flows together. But those are in pockets around the city and make, to make it, widespread is 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 not happening and plus omaha is like one of the cities that's probably spread out like a lot of u.s cities a lot you know people live 30 minutes on one end of the city to drive to work on the other end of the city the downtown but but the thing is it's just it's this chicken and egg thing you know if if you design streets for cars cars will come if so if you induce the demand for automobiles automobiles if you induce the demand for walking and biking, it, it, it causes this subtle, powerfully subtle pressure for people to move closer to work when it's such a hassle to drive. 
or the, the traffic is so bad. So you kind of, you kind of envision the city you want. If you want a city where you're driving an hour in every direction to get to work, that's what you'll end up with. And that you get Tallahassee and Dallas and, and, uh, Tampa, Houston, Houston, or you design a city like Boulder, Colorado, Portland, Oregon, San Luis Obispo. And those cities have all said about a decade ago, we want a city built for human beings where people can be healthy. And lo and behold, a decade later, they top every list in America for uh, the best one is Gallup. I know you interviewed Gallup. Top of these surveys where people love to live there. So we we get deluded by this notion that I, I want to drive anywhere I can as fast as I can, um, and I want to be healthy. And they're they're almost two mutually exclusive things. So you have to decide: do you want health, or do you want to make it super easy for everybody to drive everywhere? Yeah, I think that's the biggest. You know, I talked to you know I'm like I live on a street that they just uh, built onto the hospital, so there's a lot more people working there, and they. Sh- so there's especially at the shift change there's a constant traffic and i said when it's a two-way one lane each way street and they want to redo it and they're going to redo it just with adding sidewalks i said why don't we lower the speed limit significantly you know put a bike lane in maybe only make it a one-way street let's make it as inconvenient as possible to use this because it shoots through a residential area um to get to a major street. I said, just make it inconvenient that they can go another direction. You're exactly right. I get, they just don't think that way. And it's like, don't, you know, yeah, it's great to have more parking and, and more streets and everything. But then, you know, and I, here's a new fact or not a new fact, but there was an article in the wall street journal, which my daughter's 17. She still has not got her driver's license. So there was an article last week, I think about, only 25% of 16-year-olds are getting their driver's license. That tells me that not just in general that people are just not spending the money on vehicles, but younger people don't see the value of getting a car. And and I, I have a lot of family in Montreal, and it's freezing up there over six months of the year, and people are bike riding all the time even when it's cold out because they know that you know if they want to go somewhere, they can't. There's not even parking, and if there is, it costs too much just to park there and it's inconvenient. So it's just easier to get on your bike. And then they have lots of bike share programs. That's, that was one of the first cities I think in North America that had a pretty wide scale bike. share. I hope you guys uh, apply to this made to move grant uh, from degree. And I'll tell you why the, 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 the guy on our team who runs his name is Dan Burden. At the end of the day, you have, you have to build consensus and, what the, one of the first things he'll do is he'll take your the local newspaper editors or writers and the mayor and the local TV producers or owners, and he does what's called a walking audit. And he'll 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 go in and he'll find here are the parts of Omaha that work really well, and here are the parts of Omaha that are are completely overrun by automobiles, and then he'll. He'll ask them how they feel when cars are wailing by and it's clearly dangerous and you smell fumes, et cetera. And then he'll take it to a walkable part, maybe in the old part of Omaha, and, and tell, ask them how they feel. And then he'll take them to a room and he'll do these photomorphs that show how you can take the worst parts of Omaha and make them better. 
And when you get policymakers or the people on your committee to see what it could be, people have to understand it. And it's counterintuitive for people to think that they're better off, actually, when it's a little bit harder to drive and easier to walk. Um, then they go, aha. So it never you, you, you can't do it in a sort of uh, paternalistic, uh, with a paternalistic approach. Um, you have to build these gentle consensuses and um, often do it in steps. So, yeah, it, it, this is a, always jogs my memory. I, I'm a race director for triathlons and, and different kind of uh, endurance events. And so, the first year I did a triathlon in a, near a park with a lake, and then we had the bike course in the neighborhood. It's very rural, though, but we had to give notifications to the neighbors. You know, they have these some of them big houses or big, big farms. And I don't know about the first year, I think about 10 or 15 people called me up to say how much they hated us. And one guy said to me, well, uh, you know, bikes shouldn't be allowed in the road. They don't pay taxes, you know, so they, they can't use the roads. That's how they think. It's like, well, I think the person probably on the bike that's making the bike move probably paid taxes to somebody, but that's how they think. They just they don't think bikes are allowed. And I said, they're a vehicle just like your car. Just because you have gas in it doesn't mean it's uh, it's got exclusive use to the road. It's just that's how they think. So the average the average unhealthy person in America, defined as overweight or obese, it costs the healthcare system about ten thousand dollars a year. When I say the healthcare system, that's really you. So somebody that, that these unhealthy people are driving everywhere co- are costing everybody else, they're costing the healthy people money. So actually, you know, one way or another, we end up paying for uh, the, that um, a city where everybody goes everywhere on drive. So it's, it is, it's proven that near highways, people have higher rates of asthma. It's proven that the faster we drive, that the number of deaths from accidents goes up exponentially for every 10 miles an hour. If you're driving 20 miles an hour and you get hit by a car, there's about a 90% chance you'll survive. If that car's going 40, there's a 10% chance you'll, you'll survive. So, you know, 70% of Americans are obese or overweight, and that's what's driving our $3.7 trillion uh, your healthcare, it is going to bankrupt us, and we have to open our eyes and shift the focus from tr- trying to talk 330 million Americans into changing their behaviors to creating environments where where it makes it easier for them. And um, you know, this the made to move grant. I you know, I, I like I said, I normally say no to these things, but when degree came to me with with, with this sort of radical idea that we're actually going to help create cities where it's easier to move. I, I raised my hand and I said, sign me up. And I'm, I'm actually I'm not a sort of corporate kind of guy, but I, I, I'm, I'm proud to be involved with this. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that connection a little bit more. So how does it work? Uh, there's a grant request that a city or municipality can go through Unilever. So Unilever is making five grants uh, available, and um, 
the grants, uh, they're deployed by the city themselves to make their cities more walkable, bikeable, clean up parks, think all things we know that induce demand for mindless physical activity. And my team has now worked in over 2,000 cities in America to help them think through, uh, sorry about that, uh, think through how to make their, their cities, you know, with their timetable, uh, what will work for them. And um, the, the five cities that get the grant also comes with my team of experts, the Blue Zones teams of, of experts. And uh, we come in with menus, not with uh, dictates, but we show cities evidence-based way, ways to uh, build their streets for movement and for humans. So how, what's the mechanism to be considered to be one of the cities to get a grant? Uh, I, there's, there's, you said there's five different grants or five cities that are in the grant cycle. How does that work? Five grants available. Uh, they're all for, and uh, the grant comes with a, a generous um, um, uh, uh, financial grant, and it, it's also packaged with us that we will – come meet the city planners and mayors and, and chamber of commerce and uh, uh, city council. And uh, we show them uh, in many ways, people don't realize these tools are available to help create um, more walkable and bikeable cities. But also there are dozens of low cost things that you can do that don't involve big budget items and, you know, taxes, money, or anything that uh, just just um, make the city that more, um, um, I guess, physically active. Right. So, if, if if Omaha wanted to apply for this grant or one of these grants, what would be the first step? Uh, the, the, okay, the grant application uh, paperwork. Uh, you you go to degreedeodorant.com and uh, it gives the or bluezones.com and it gives you the. Um, uh, the, the, you go to the made to move uh, part of our website and it will tell you exactly how to make the grant application. It's not onerous. When I talk corporate wellness, a lot of times it's the, setting up the right environment. So I understand what you're saying in your community level, you need to set up the environment so that you don't have to like give people a bunch of incentives to do st- something. The environment already lends itself to that. So you don't have to do anything more. That's in in the blue zones areas where people have lived the longest in the world. There's no incentives, no free T-shirt, no money off your insurance. They just live in environments where they're nudged into movement every 20 minutes or so. And that's what we need for both our built environments in our cities and our corporate wellness environment. Yep. And people have to understand that. I mean, in my own workplace, I encourage people to work out or go for a walk or do something. And we do lots of different things and, you know, not even doing walking meetings when we don't have to sit behind a screen and look at a presentation and talk about it. There's no reason we need to all be sitting in a room. Uh, we could be doing something else at the same time. You have the right idea. Well, thanks Dan. Well, good luck. Keep in touch and maybe I'll somehow get you guys to be involved in Omaha down the road. I would love to. All right. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Dan. Uh, That was a great, great conversation about uh, Blue Zones and how uh, Unilever is helping to promote our healthy communities. And thank you 
to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces.